people need to remember it's a two-way street and people who give tend to receive more back and that's my take on that you are listening to australia's tax news podcast tax talks the podcast for australian tax professionals Welcome to episode 195 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Automating workflows, integrating apps and payment gateways, managing cash flows. They are all important steps in growing our practice. But if you can't find clients, if you can't work out how to generate revenue, then it doesn't really matter how well your pipeline works since little or nothing is coming through your pipeline. So I reached out to Alistair Marshall in Sydney. Alistair makes a living out of helping professional services practices to re-engineer their setup, review their marketing and generate more revenue. Alistair will share 10 insights with you about how to generate revenue. Five today and then the other five next Monday. to generate revenue. That is the most fundamental question, Alistair. How to treat a Division 7A problem <laughs> is easy to work out. But how to generate revenue is just so hard and so fundamental at the same time. If we can't work that one out, then we are done for. Yeah, it's a real challenge. And there are lots of people trying to work that out. It's a very competitive marketplace. The larger firms are having issues where the big four are now coming down and playing in markets they wouldn't have previously played. And that has a knock-on effect right through things like audit. And for smaller firms and practitioners, the fact that people can just about go online and fill their own tax return in now doesn't help. And things like technology will only increase that as we go through time. So there is a There is clearly an element of the people who are successful around finding ways to onboard new clients and revenues will win and those who are less successful uh, will challenge whether they're staying in the marketplace or not, I suspect, going forward. You said something that was interesting. You said the larger ones are coming down, the larger firms are coming down. Do you mean we said that there is consolidation in the accounting industry and so the larger firms are buying the smaller practitioners? Is that what you mean? Well, that's not what actually, I'm not suggesting that won't happen. But what I was suggesting was that previously the big four would never have entertained doing an audit below $100,000. And now there's lots of evidence of the big four doing audits as low as $40,000 or $50,000. And previously they wouldn't have played in that market. So These people are running large engines of human capital with 10,000 employees and they need to buy work to keep the engine fed and be busy. So they're now playing in spaces with smaller SME businesses where they wouldn't have gone before. So previously they were kind of only playing in the ASX 200 market or government spaces, but that's no longer the case. So as a result, then firms from five to 20 are now under pressure. And I think very recently Deloitte put their figures out where the revenue of their audit was down several hundred million dollars in a year. So partly that's because they've had some bad press about the quality of their audit, apparently, but also because the focus is now moving away from audit and tax and going on to consulting services where all accountants would benefit focusing in the future. The big fours and the larger accounting 
firms, of course, have much more capacity when it comes to consulting. Indeed. They can bring this specialist in and that specialist in as needed, which, of course, the smaller accounting firms don't have. No, but there are people out there. And if anybody's interested, if they were to get in contact with you or via me, there are people who you can outsource those things to. And you can either white label it so it looks like it's come from your firm or you can do it with the name of the outsource person on it. But there are people who've left those big firms and set up their own business doing exactly what you're describing. How to generate revenue? Yeah, well, it's a, you know, it's a difficult message to start with, but technical ability is no longer a guarantee of financial success. So quite often I get, how do I know this? Well, that's because I meet pretty ordinary accounts who are driving Ferraris. And at the other end of the scale, I meet very good technical people who are struggling to make a practice work. So what is there going on that makes those two things possible? The other thing is, is that people are massively overly reliant on word of mouth referrals. And when I ask them, you know, how do you build a practice? Word of mouth referral is usually the first thing they come back with, which is great because they're cheap and they tend to convert at a better rate than other marketing. But you can only grow your practice at the rate that other people are prepared to talk about you. And that's dangerous and it means you're not in control. So if I'm sat in a boardroom with an accountant and ask, you know, why do you win the work? I tend to get three stock answers back. So I get price and value, which is a bit nonsensical because there's always someone around who'll do the job cheaper than you will. I get the quality of the staff, but that's very hard to prove. And I've never really heard you know, the head of an accountancy practice tell me that their staff are awful. Um, well, I have, but not in public. <laughs> Uh, and then you get the ubiquitous, the quality of service, but most people don't measure it. So that's very hard to prove. So, you know, that's a challenge, you know, in terms of positioning your business on why people uh, should come to your firm rather than go anywhere else. If you go and do an MBA, and I'm sure there's people listening to this who are fairly academic and have invested in doing an MBA. For those who haven't, you, you basically learn that the financial performance of an accountancy practice or any other professional business is only dependent on two things which is operational competence multiplied by marketing. So that's essentially how good you are at what you do multiplied by how good you are at telling people about how good you are at what you do. And most accountants aren't spectacularly good at the second part. And that's why there's this imbalance between technically gifted accountants who are struggling to make it work versus less technically gifted accountants who are actually pretty successful at what they do. So what I've tried to do is for this podcast is put together a series of messages on where people might focus their thought to get better. And the first of those is really around get becoming more specialist and less of a general practitioner. Number one, client profiles. Nobody goes to the doctor who's a general practitioner if they've got a particular specialist problem that would require surgery. And, and you know, people are a bit the same. If you've got financial challenges, you know, you want the best advice, you go to the people who can convey their expertise. But, you know, having said that, You've got to be able to demonstrate it. You can't just tell people that you're better in 2019 and expect them to believe you because people won't really. You know, if, if you're going to say to people that, you know, you're the, the go-to people for, for example, medical practices or dental practices, you've got to be able to walk the walk, talk the talk. And, you know, I would say to people, you know, have you ever read a book on how to run a dental practice? Do you understand 
how leasing of x-ray machines and all the financials work in the dental space and if you haven't that will give you an edge so i meet lots of people who tell me they go the extra mile to deliver client service but i actually find the extra mile quite a lonely place and i don't actually find that many people who make the extra effort so there you go so client profiles i definitely think people need to understand where they make the most money what types of clients deliver the best returns and go and find and spend your very precious time and dollars just focusing on those types of profile client rather than be generalist. It's very easy to waste time going to talk to people who don't have any need of what you're offering or won't be prepared to pay the prices you wish to charge. And then you really need to go and be expert. Anyway, I'm running ahead slightly when it comes to pricing. But the point of making this is you really need to understand the client profiles. Also, from a targeting perspective, when it comes to business development, you need to find the time. So I'd really be telling people to target a minimum of two hours a week towards BD, which shouldn't be overly taxing. That kind of allows you to maybe write an article for an hour and certainly get out from behind your desk and go meet people for another hour. So I think it's fairly well accepted now that 75% of relationships start online but 75% of new clients are one face-to-face. So at some point, you have to make the transition to start the relationship, and that requires you to get out from behind your desk. So if you build that time into your diary and make it as important as client time, that's a good place to start. And I wouldn't suggest you build that two-hour window in on a Monday or a Friday because there are too many distractions. So if you can put something in your diary between 12 and 2 in one of those midweek days, I think people will get more done in three to six months than they may have achieved in three to six years prior. And in terms of targeting, I advocate what I call the 555 system. So invest your time in only 15 relationships at any one time. So that would be five existing clients that if you invested more time in that relationship, you might get different work streams or referrals to other places. Five prospects who match the ideal client portfolio target. So let's take dentists as that example. And then five referring partners who could refer you work in that space. And at any one time, keep those 15 balls juggled. Um, But as I say, people will generally do a lot better if they just focus on those things. So, you know, I jokingly wrote um, an article called Eat Your Way to Success some time back where I advocated you could have breakfast, lunch and dinner or drinks on the way from the office home. 15 opportunities a week. So that's not very health conscious, <laughs> but there's no reason why people couldn't do two or three external meetings a week. And for some people listening, that could add up to, you know, 100 to 150 external business meetings in the next 12 months they perhaps didn't have in the last year. And I'll guarantee people double-digit growth if they just did that thing on its own because good things happen when you go meet people. But if you get better at telling your story when you go to meet these people, you can grow your business exponentially. So that's an important thing. And I think you know, too many people have a generic marketing budget. So rather than consider the lifetime value of a client and work backwards, so you might say an average client, let's pick a round figure of $10,000 a year in fees, how much are you prepared to invest to go and build a relationship with a client who would give you that back rather than just have this generic pot and when you've spent it, you've spent it. So I think there's a few learnings there for people around targets. Number two, client review meetings. client review meetings lots of people talk to me and say you know they know the client really well and 
they talk to clients all the time, but that tends to be about transactional things. I'm not sure how often people actually do full-blown client review meetings and sit with the client and ask them what their goals and aspirations are for the following year and how they can help and do they ask for referrals at that point or ask for testimonials or case studies. You haven't got time to do all of this. I would imagine, you know, there's accountants listening to this who've got a few hundred clients and thinking, how do I manage the time? So you might even start with a basic spreadsheet. And I just thought I'd throw that in because I know you accountant types love a spreadsheet. And, um, you know, just grade your clients A, B and C. So it may well be that an A-grade client gets a touch point once a month, a B-grade gets one every quarter, and a C-grade at least gets this type of touch point once a year. Because if you don't do this, you've got to really ask yourself, is the service you're delivering worth a referral? And if all you're doing is filling in someone's tax return and sending it them back, I'm not sure that's worth referring. So there's got to be something else in there that makes you better than the others, I think, when it comes to client review meetings. Number three, how good are you? How do you know? And the whole question around how good are you, just to sort of again go across another topic, you know, do you measure how good you are? I question how many firms in Australia actually have client feedback scores. So I talk a lot around, you know, the clues in the title, professional services. So you're essentially offering a service. And in many cases, the accountant is like a triage nurse and it's the bedside manner you deliver in these services, which will get you referrals or not. I rarely go and meet other professional services providers who tell me they're delighted with the bank, the accountant, the lawyer, the internet provider, whoever it is. So don't assume that you're great at what you do. You really need to have a, a feedback mechanism whether that's be net promoter score or something else, but you should have some sort of questionnaires to gauge satisfaction. I use a survey that I put together on SurveyMonkey, which is very inexpensive, but at least I get feedback from people and I can use that in marketing going forward. So if I say, you know, most of my clients scored me nine or 10 in the past 12 months, you know, that's something that's believable and tangible. It's not just me making a salesman's claim. And I think that's pretty important, you know. I often play the devil's advocate, so apologies. Client feedback, I think it's difficult because, A, I think there's a high risk that clients just want to be nice and give you a high score, even though there might be an issue. It's not anonymous. Hence, the question is, how honest are they? Yeah, the question is, would clients have the time or would they appreciate being asked to spend their time like this? Well, I can't speak for every individual case. What I can tell you about is, you know, some of the findings I found having introduced it into some of the firms I've worked with, where it's actually been a real eye opener. So it can be a great addition to revenue winning because when you go and take time to talk to clients, this is when you cross sell your other services or products, whatever you want to call them. So there'll be some people who only use your firm for one line of work. So it might well be that you do the tax return or you do the audit, but your firm offers so many other things that people can buy from you. But because they've only ever bought that one service from you, they just assume that's all you do. And it's only when you sit down in that environment and talk to them about their aspirations and, you know, is there anything else you could do or what other financial things do you outsource or your payroll whatever it is these are all things that you can go and talk to people about and as long as it doesn't come across as a you know a whole just a whole list of questions 
people actually feel pretty good. If you ring people up and say, you know, as one of my best clients, I'd love the opportunity to come and talk to you and get some feedback. Most people are quite flattered that you've actually elevated them into that position and they have the opportunity to tell you either how good, bad or indifferent they think you are. And uh, as I say, if you can get testimonials and case studies on your website, that third-party testimony is a really powerful thing. And especially for those listening who perhaps have to put in bids or tender documents to do work, having third-party feedback is a really important part of the process. And I have to say, you can learn so much. If, if there are things, I think most people avoid feedback in case they hear some bad stories, but there's nothing worse than a, a quiet annoyed client because they don't give you a second chance to improve they just walk without giving you any notice so if you get the opportunity where someone actually says hi this is actually not so good we'd welcome the way you ask for your money or we'd like the way something's done to be done differently it gives you the opportunity as an organization to genuinely deliver that so you know i often use the phrase that marketing in its purest form is giving people what they want but most professional services firms never actually take the time. They just assume they know what the clients want. And I think that's a very dangerous position to be in. And these feedback sessions can be hugely valuable for sure. You know, the other thing I should mention in terms of measurement of things is I'm a big believer that accountancy practices are 80% people and 20% everything else. So you have to get engaged staff because disengaged staff don't deliver service at a level that's worth referring so if people are just doing a job rather than being engaged with the business, your best score is likely to be a six or seven out of 10, and that's not worth a referral, especially when you're not being compared with just other accountancy practices. You're being compared with people's experiences when they go to an Apple store or buy something on Amazon. So in this world of you know, instant gratification and I want everything now and I want to pay nothing for it type of world – I think there's a huge advantage in doing a staff satisfaction survey once every two or three years and really understanding where the staff are at. I see some significant turnover of staff in a number of firms when I'm out consulting, and I think that's a real learning for some people listening today. Number four, the expert model. Yes, the relationship is important. People are buying from people. But if building relationships is not your forte, then you just need to be really good at other things like having a really good website or having really good phone support, etc. I think how you work your market should be wrapped around your personality and your strength. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a big advocate of what I call the expert model. So Experts essentially do three things better than non-experts in that they speak, they write, and they network on and offline. So not everybody is an extrovert, and I've worked with hundreds of introverted technical tax accountants over the years who've managed to build a practice because they've understood that if you get you know the necessary tools and processes in place, even if you're not the most outgoing person, you can be successful in choosing the right routes to market. So there's a number of things available to people. And if you want me to go through that, I'm very happy to share some of those things now. So, yes, please. you know, there, there was a time where people said that to be an expert, you needed to do 10,000 hours of practice. So, you know, based on 1500 billable hours a year, that's still six or seven years. 
Or you could write a book, which is equally time consuming, I know, because I've written three. So there are ways that in this day and age, you can break that because we have digital platforms and various ways that you can get your message out to people, even if you've never been heard of before. And most of these tools are free of charge, so there's no reason or excuse why you wouldn't engage them. You know, essentially, any accountant listening would think you have two challenges. One's visibility. I'm not going to choose you unless I know who you are. And the other one's credibility. So over time, say in the 10 years that's passed since the GFC, there's just more options out there to reach the target. So the generalist buyer of an accountancy practice would probably wait for a referral or ask someone. You've now got you know much more younger people in the market. You've got younger businesses in the market. You've got digitally empowered people in the market. You know, I would ask the question to start this off, you know, how many people listening have bought an item over $500 without Googling it first? And my guess is the answer is not that many. And therefore, you need to also think what people are going to find when they Google you or Google accounting services or others. So in terms of building profiles, speaking, which, as you know, I think, you know, you first discovered me through a speaking event, public speaking at a conference. Yes, at Class Connect. So, you know, that's a... That's a really powerful thing. So when I first started public speaking many, many years ago, I was very nervous about it. Whereas now it's my best route to market. I'm not nervous about it because I know my topic. And, I'm, you know, you might not be the most extroverted person, but my guess is you know your topic around, you know, the accounting rules or finances and you could hold that discussion. The other reason I'm such an advocate of public speaking is that it saves you masses of time. So if you take the room that you saw me in, there would be over 200 accountants in the room. If you imagine me having a single flat white meeting with 200 accountants, that's 200 hours. Whereas I managed to touch 200 people in an hour. And the mere fact that I was on the stage and you were sat in the audience, human nature kind of suggests that I'm the expert and I know more about this topic than you do. So I really if you encourage people to take on board the public speaking thing if you think you couldn't do it. And, you know, whether that's in a public environment at a conference or whether you hold your own internal, you know, your own seminars in-house, which can work great, there's a number of ways you can do that. I'm also a big believer if while you're giving a, a talk, you can video it and then you can use it either in websites or in emails or online in LinkedIn and all these types of things. So there's a number of things you can do. You know, we're now podcasting, there's webinars. So all these things that probably weren't around and onboarded 10 years ago are now all available and they're all free. So it's a great opportunity for people. If you're not confident enough to stand up in front of a room full of strangers, then you really need to be writing down your IP in places where people can access it. So Books are very time consuming, but ebooks are a very accepted thing now. So you can write ebooks, you can write articles. You know, Dr. Google makes the rules, not me. So if you want to get found, you really need to be using the written word. Think about your website copy and what you write there. Most people don't have websites that are overly exciting, if I'm honest. You know, you can do press releases, you can write direct mails to people, you can write emails to people, blogs and articles and white papers. You can write things for trade journals, but be careful not to go into accountants daily because the only people who read accountants daily are accountants. You know, if you want to be in dentists, you need to be writing things for trade journals like Dentists Weekly. Newsletters be careful about because too many accountants write newsletters which are internally focused and not really for the benefit of the reader. And I think, you know, on a website, you should be able to see maybe case studies or testimonials from clients. Think about your biography. 
you know, is it just a history lesson? You know, I, I passed my accounting exams in 1996 and then I became a partner here. And, you know, that's pretty dull history lesson stuff. You'd be much better talking to people about how you've managed, you know, what are the results of the accounting services you've delivered? You know, did you save people 100 grand's worth of tax or, you know, this type of thing? That's what people want to understand. And then doing research is another great thing for the written word. I think as I profiled with you, I did a research piece where I asked 150 professional firms how they won work, how much time they invested in doing it, how many dollars they spent on doing it. So I'm not guessing what works and what doesn't because I've done the research. And if you want to be perceived as an expert, that's a great thing to do. So when it comes to networking, Lots of accountants go networking. I know this because I've met many accountants out and about when I've been in networking events. My challenge is, can you remember the last five people you met at a networking event well enough to refer them to people? And my guess is the answer is no. And if that's the case, my guess is the last five people that you talked to at a networking event probably can't remember you well enough to recommend you either. So it's all in the follow-up. And networking, of course, in the modern day and age is uh, online as well as offline. And things like LinkedIn's the best free business to business tool has been for a generation. And yet a lot of professional people still don't engage with it, which is a shame. And, you know, LinkedIn are happy to admit that a lot of the traffic goes through on a Friday where I think people have got off the treadmill of billable hours and then go and play around with it for a little while on a Friday afternoon. But if you do that, you're very unlikely to get much from it. It needs to become almost part like driving a car you're going through the gears so you, you engage with LinkedIn on a daily basis and upload intellectual property and articles and all sorts of things and it's a great place to go networking I should also add as a, an older generation chap if you'll allow me to use that I still find good old-fashioned private dinners are a fantastic way of networking if you want to attract an audience of senior boardroom level people so if you ask people to come for a flat white meeting during the working day a they're busy b they've probably already got a provider of accounting services so that they think they're going to be sold to but if you ask people to come to a private event in the evening you'll probably get a much better response and uh, I, I often talk about the challenges how you make people feel a very important four-letter word and uh, CEOs or executives don't feel important when they're being invited to a coffee shop to discuss financial or tax issues. But if you put them in an environment with nice food and wine on a Thursday evening in a private dining room, whilst it may cost you $300 a head, you're likely to get and build a much deeper relationship that's likely to be hugely more rewarding than one where you invest, I don't know, half an hour in a coffee shop. So just for people who are listening, just think about some of the old things still work in a modern world. I think that's probably the message there. So a number of things there, not really a list, but, you know, a huge amount of things for people to get on with or consider because, you know, even if you just have two hours a week, people, the question comes, Alistair, what do we do with our two hours? You know, I've listed probably 15 things there that you could be doing in those two hours. You should never be stuck for things to do. Number five, strategic ventures. I might also at this point take a moment to talk about the potential for exponential growth through strategic ventures, so or having joint venture partners. 
So I'm a big believer that certainly most SMEs or small businesses, you know, still have a requirement for the banker, the accountant, the insurance broker, you know, a, a whole number of people and services. And if you can align yourself to the right people, it's a way for you to exponentially grow your practice because you've got other people out there who are essentially selling you other than you. So I love to use the phrase ecosystem. So again, if I if you allow me to use the dental industry as the example, I'm advocating that you build a network with a banker who has a, a history of banking dental practices. You get in touch or build a relationship with the people who deliver x-ray machines to all the dentists because they will already have all the dentists you want as clients. So you have this ecosystem. So I have big relationships with banks, with insurance brokers, because they know so many professional services firms. So I build relationships with these people and let them know that I'm a specialist in my field. I'm not competing with them. So it's a, it's a bolt-on service, so everybody looks good. So, you know, I don't build websites, but I have a, a relationship with guys who build websites specifically for accounting practices and professional services firms. So you basically say, where are my clients in the pipeline? And then you look at the suppliers who are in the pipeline before. Yeah, exactly that. Or, or basically you ask, where am I in the pipeline? And then you look at suppliers who are in the pipeline before you. Yes, yeah, so, so it's a referral relationship. At the big end of town, that's changed. So in years gone by, the top four would have provided referrals out to you know banks and law firms. That's happening less because they're offering so many of those in-house legal services, for example, themselves. So there's an, there is a breakdown at the top of the market, but it still works fantastically well underneath that. The only thing I would challenge people with is that there's a phrase called give us gain when it comes to referrals. So two things. When's the last time people listening to this podcast today asked for a referral from a client? The second thing is, if you're not getting referrals from other people like banks or whatever, when's the last time you gave them a referral? So people need to remember it's a two-way street and people who give referrals tend to receive more back. And that's my take on that. Welcome back. So to generate revenue, be the expert, meet your clients, measure how good you are, share your expertise and join strategic ventures. In the next episode, episode 196, Alistair Marshall will tell you more. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.